Good morning. Hey, thanks for being with us this morning. You could have picked any church with air conditioning that worked, but you chose us today. Glad that you're here. I don't know why it breaks on Saturday nights. Really glad the mortgage is paid off. Now you have money to fix the air conditioner, I guess. <laughs> this is Memorial Day weekend, of course, as we all know, and it's a time we set aside as a as a society, just to really reflect on and give thanks for people who, you know, did pay that ultimate price for our freedom. And there's, it's hard to, hard to put into words our gratitude for that. We take time to remember them. I think it's expanded also into, uh, you know, a time of remembering our loved ones who have passed away before us and given some intentional memory to them. That's that's great. It's great to remember. I don't know if we remember enough in our culture anymore, do enough remembering. It's great to remember. I was pretty excited that this all fell on this weekend because as I was looking at the passage for today, it just reminded me of why God called this fellowship into existence and what, what he spoke to us in the beginning and what was true then and what is true now that God had a plan for us as a fellowship, a unique plan, and this in many ways is a pretty unique place. And I, I just want us to take some time this morning to remember that. Let's pray. Lord, as we come into your presence at this time with our minds open to your word, we invite your Holy Spirit to come. We come in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. We have no other way to come. Where else can we go for life but to you? And so we come with no other gods before us. We come with no other philosophies distracting us. We come in, with faith in the name of your own Son, Jesus Christ, what he did for us on the cross, and the shed blood that now calls us your sons and daughters, Lord God. We rejoice in that, and we invite your Holy Spirit to come now and to engage us, Lord, engage us in the places of our minds so we can think upon these things, but also engage us in the place of our hearts. You set eternity in the hearts of men, and, and so we ask that you'll touch us there at the place beyond our, our sensibilities even, just that place that longs for you, God. We invite you to come in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to move another uh, installment of our Through the Bible broadcast here, if you will. Stop number 41 on our, our trip from Genesis to Revelation. We've been working on it for a couple of years, and we've been taking some breaks now and then for other things. Speaking of breaks, this will be the last installment in the Back to Through the Bible uh, series uh, for a while. Uh, Pastor Rob and I are pretty excited about something we feel like the Lord has put on our hearts to, to bring to you over the summer, and it's a series of messages of, of teachings called Soul Care, and taking care of your soul, taking care of the spirit man inside of you, that place that cries out for God. And we have some stuff that we want to share with you. It's very practical stuff over the summer that's just going to help you to dig deeper in your relationship with God, your experience with God. Uh, in some cases, it'll help some of you who feel like things have kind of cooled off to get that revived again and get back to that place of, of the living Christ in your life. And so that's what we're going to be doing for, for pretty much the summer unless I change my mind, okay? 
So that's the situation. Today we're in the book of Acts, uh, the fifth book of the New Testament. And as before, we're going to look at it in the same way. We're going to start by looking at the context. What is the context of the book of Acts? I think there are two main features. First of all, it's a sequel to the gospel of Luke. Very good. So as soon as you start reading the first verse of the, of the book of Acts, it says, in my former book, O Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so he refers to a former book. That's the, the Luke, the guy who wrote what has become called the Gospel of Luke. He didn't name it after himself. The church did that on, our, on his behalf. Uh, but the former book he's referring to is the Gospel of Luke. So this is a continuation. This is a sequel to that. And what you have in the, in the book of Acts is you have some, some very excited people who have a preposterous message. The people in the book of Acts are excited, are they not? They're on fire And uh, what they have is they are bearing a preposterous message to the world. And the preposterous message they're bearing is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's out there. That's insane. That doesn't happen. And so they knew it happened because they were witnesses to it. And it was the thing that was compelling them to live the lives that they lived with such fire and such passion for the Lord. The thing that was compelling them was the knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus. This is the same thing that serves as the the compelling motivation for us today, right? Why why do we want to live passionately for God? How about because he rose from the dead? He conquered sin on the cross. He conquered death by rising from the dead. He's alive. That's pretty strong motivation. So that is part of the context of the book of Acts. Also, you see that uh, the book of Acts is an explosive or an explosive expansion of Christianity onto the world stage. That up to this point, things had been focused primarily in Jerusalem. And what happens in the book of Acts is this explosive expansion. It just scatters. First, it it was like a rifle shot. Now it's a scatter gun. Now it's a number six bird shot. Just boom, and off it goes into all the world. And there's an explosive expansion of the gospel message. And what happens is, is the Holy Spirit is loosed. The Holy Spirit, the Bible said, is poured out on all flesh. It says right in there, it says it's a fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel that what happened was the reason it was such an explosive expansion is because the Holy Spirit came. And that changed everything. So that's the general context of the book of Acts. The hot spot that I feel drawn to for us to look at is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is a pretty exciting thing that happened really early on in the life of the church when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church and people began doing something called speaking in tongues, which is a matter of some controversy in the American church today, but it doesn't need to be. The reason that it's controversial is because the devil is trying to use it to divide the church. The devil is trying to use it to erect borders between Christians And whenever the devil can divide the church, he weakens the church. We are strong, not in our individuality, but we're strong in our unity. 
And so this is a trick of the enemy. There is no, absolutely no need to be confused about the gift of tongues, and hopefully I'll be able to clarify that a little bit today. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, here's how it rolls out. When the day of Pentecost came, now Pentecost was one of the Jewish observances. It was one of the festivals. So it's saying now, when the day of Pentecost came, remember Jesus died and rose again around Passover. Now it's Pentecost time. And so he had lived among them as the risen Christ. He had ascended to the Father in in chapter 1. And he says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Get this. The whole church, I mean the whole global church, was together in one place. Does that blow your mind? The, the, all of the Christians in the world were together in one place. And then something really powerful happened. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So fire came. <laughs> yeah, balls of fire came into the room and had some shape that reminded them of tongues, right? I mean, like a tongue. And it said it came to rest on each of them. Not on some of them, on each of them. Okay? All of them, all of them. (laughs) This is not a spectator sport. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, meaning languages, as the Spirit enabled them. That's a big day. You're all together. You're all together. You're just being believers. You're being passionate Christ followers together. The Holy Spirit comes in a a mighty rushing wind. Fire shows up. Hello? Fire shows up. And as the fire then rests on people, they began talking. And as they begin talking, they're speaking languages, it says, that they had never learned. Now, in this case, this, these are earthly languages, as you read on. Now, there were, staying, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. They were drawn a crowd because... E- because each one heard them speaking in his own language. So they're from somewhere else. They're in Jerusalem. They're drawn to Jerusalem, perhaps for Pentecost. They're there. They, they come from somewhere else. They have their own language. They have their own dialect. And yet, strangely, these people who are Galileans who are talking are speaking the language they understand. This is crazy. Utterly amazed, verse 7, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, and Cretans, and the Cretans were there. The Cretans were even there. Can you believe it? Cretans and Arabs, we, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues 
amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? And then if you keep reading, Peter stands up and tells them exactly what it means. He says, this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. And they said, what should we do? And they said, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized every one of you. And they did. And 3,000 people were added to their number that day. That's a big day. This is a hot spot in the book of Acts, yes? This is a very, very hot spot. And since the turn of the last century, around 1905, when there was a resurgence in the Pentecostal movement, a resurgence, I should say, of the gift of tongues in the Pentecostal movement, it has sparked almost nothing but controversy in the church, particularly in the West. People speaking in tongues and people being confused about it. I am about to clear up the confusion, give you the definitive explanation, and you shall never more be confused, all right? The gift of tongues in the Bible very simply comes in two main forms. The first is xenolalia. Say that. That's fun to say, isn't it? You should laugh as you say it. Xenolalia. Not really. Xeno or xenos means guest or foreigner, and so it means the, the speaking in foreign languages, speaking in a known earthly language, so that God enabled these people to, I would suppose, speak in what they thought was their own language. Their, their heads were filled by the Holy Spirit with the message of the gospel, but as the words came out, they were coming out in these other languages. This is xenolalia. That would be a big day. I have prayed for this gift. I have been in India, sometimes often translated into two dialects, so I say something, and then it goes into Tamil, and then it goes to Canada, and then it comes back to me. And so a 45-minute message is three hours long, right? And I have prayed for that. I have prayed, God, could I, let me just start talking, and everybody goes, I understand him. It's never happened. <laughs> just want to let you know I am a risk taker. I've asked for it, all right? I've never known anybody this happened to. I don't, I don't know of anybody that this has happened to, but it happened here. It did happen here. That's xenolalia. Okay? The other kind of tongues is called glossolalia. Say that. Glossolalia, also fun to say. And it is a speaking of a language enabled by the Holy Spirit that is not an earthly language. It's some other, it, as, you, as it's spoken, it has the sense of a language, it has the flow of a language, but it's not a language necessarily that even the speaker understands. That's crazy, isn't it? This is something that is also enabled by the Holy Spirit. And so the speaker is simply talking from their heart, and words are coming out, for the most part, unknown to them in terms of what it is that they're saying. There are two subgroups of glossolalia. Ask me what the subgroups are. The first one is a prophetic glossolalia. You'll find all this in 1 Corinthians 14. A prophetic glossolalia. In other words, a person starts speaking in tongues in such a way that there needs to be an interpreter. 
that God is actually speaking a message to the church through that person who is speaking in tongues, and in saying that, nobody can understand it except for the interpreter. The Bible says in the case where tongues are at such a level that they're, that they're gaining the attention from other people, there must be an interpreter. So there's none of this business of grabbing the microphone and speaking in tongues here unless you can produce also an interpreter, right? Because that's what the Scriptures say. That's a rare occurrence, but it is still an occurrence, I understand. It has happened once. I can remember that night, Don Ivers, when that happened, the one night. I think you gave the tongue, as I recall. I don't remember. But was it you? It was you. That's why you're an elder. That's a long time ago. That's 20 plus years ago. And we just stopped the meeting and we waited for an interpretation. Because that's what the Bible says to do. Okay? That's a prophetic glossolalia. The by far more common form of glossolalia is a prayer glossolalia, is a prayer language. It's, it's an enabling by the Holy Spirit to praise God, worship God, pray um, on matters that your mind just runs out of words for. Have you, ever, have you ever been to that place where you're praying and you just, you've said everything you know to say, but you're not done? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you get to that place and you just kind of go, and uh, that's not tongues, that's just groaning there, okay? And you just feel like you're out of words. Are you worshiping God? Oh my gosh, you can smell his hair. You're afraid to look up because you're afraid you're going to see his toe or something. Have you ever been in that spot? And you, and you want to you say something, but your words aren't good enough? And there's, there's, there's a deeper place inside of you that just wants to pray something or worship God, and your words aren't enough. Well, God can enable you with the gift of tongues to move into an area of the Spirit that is completely enabled by Him. The first time I spoke in tongues, I was actually in my car. I was driving in my car. I wasn't fetched up in a group that said you should speak in tongues. In fact, the explanation, I was a new young adult Christian, and I'm going, hey, what about this tongues thing? That looks really cool. And I'm like, no, that's, I'm hearing, no, that's not cool. We don't do that here. Ain't no tongue talking here. Here's why. Here's why was the explanation that was given to me is that tongues are confusing, and God is not the author of confusion. Therefore, they're not from him. Okay, I'm new. I don't know the rules. I'm like, all right. I'm like, okay. But it didn't make complete sense to me because I was confused about a lot of stuff that they weren't taking off the table, right? It didn't seem to apply broadly just to that. But trying to be a part of the church, I said, okay. But man, I'd pray, you know, and I'd pray. And I, I knew it was okay to pray. So I would lock myself for about seven years. I would lock myself in a room about one day a week. And I would just say, I would pray to the end of my words, and then I would just stare at God and say, one of us is going to blink. <laughs> Turns out God doesn't blink. But God does honor obedience to the stirring he places in your heart. Waiting for the perfect time 
to give me the gift of tongues, which I wasn't asking for. I just wanted the rest. Waiting for the perfect time. I was on my way in my car to talk to a pastor in the denomination I was in. I was a denominational official. And the thought of that is crazy, isn't it? And I was the chairman of something or another. I can't really remember what I was chairman of, but I got the call that I needed to go over the mountain and talk to this young pastor who was planting a church, trying to, and uh, the report had come that he was doing some radical things. For one thing, he was using an overhead projector for the words to the song. I know. I mean, right there, if you can't, if it ain't in the book, you hadn't ought to be doing it, right? So that was a problem. But he was also having early morning prayer meetings. I know. Like 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. Just ain't right. It's 7 o'clock Wednesday night, right? That's when prayer meetings are, right? Well, he was calling outside the lines, but here's, where, here's the thing that tipped it over. There were reports coming that some of those early morning ladies who were praying were speaking in tongues. That tore it right there. Tom, you need to go over and put a stop to this. All right, I shall. That's confusing. I'm confused. I shall go clear this up. I have Bible for this. Off I go. In my Dodge Dart. Here I go. I'm listening to Christian music. I don't remember the song. I just remember my heart was full of worship to God. And I just remember driving along and at some sovereign moment of the Lord, some syllables began coming out of my mouth that I didn't recognize. I thought, what's up with that? And they just came out of my mouth. I didn't recognize them. Remember where I'm going, right? You remember where I'm going? I didn't recognize them. I had never heard anybody speak in tongues in my life at this point. I didn't know what it sounded like. And so this flow of syllables came out of my mouth I didn't recognize, but I found it just sort of strangely satisfying to say them. It's like I was moving into that next place that I couldn't have words for. I pulled my car over, I put it in park, and I sat there saying this phrase. I could say it for you, it wouldn't mean anything to you. Over and over and over again, while I'm worshiping God. I, at some point, I realize tears are coming down my cheeks. My hands are up like this, which you didn't do. And I just remember going, oh my God, I'm a charismatic. <laughs> I, I didn't finish the trip over to talk to that guy. I went home, and I locked myself in that room, and I've been locked in that room ever since. (laughs) The gift of tongues, in terms of a prayer glossolalia, is an enabling of the Holy Spirit to say things that seem to be beyond our comprehension to say, whether it be in worship, whether it be in intercession. And uh, if that's something that is interesting to you, then talk to the Father about it. If you have that gift, you're welcome to use that gift here as we worship on Sunday mornings. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, that's between you and God. So you don't become distracting about it, right? You're not trying to make a show. 
Here's what I think about the gift of tongues. It's like a romance language. It's like a romance language. It's, it's a love of the Father, and speaking a love of the Father. Now, romance is private. Hello? I speak in tongues here every Sunday. Don't call the denominations. But it's private. It's love. That's the definitive answer on the gift of tongues. Be confused no longer. But you know what? I don't even think that's what this passage is about. (laughs) I don't even think that's the real miracle of this passage. What I see is the real miracle of this passage is that in pouring out the Holy Spirit the way he did, that God is expanding the borders of his grace. (laughs) He's just kicking out the borders of his grace. He's saying every language, every tongue, every person... Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how many times you've promised him you're not going to do that anymore. There is no limit to the borders of God's grace. And he's pouring out his grace. He's expanding the borders of his grace. The gift of tongues was just a mechanism for doing the greater thing expanding the borders of God's grace into our lives. That was a scandalous message that the church had, that Jesus Christ died for sinners. Here in Acts chapter 2, it's to all of these God-fearing Jews. By the time you get to Acts chapter 9, it's to all the world through the Gentiles. That there is no end to the border of God's grace. When we started out, that's all this church was about. It was just about God's grace falling on some very needy people. It was just about God's grace falling on people who maybe didn't hear that message in other settings for them. And what I saw... Early on, and it was confirmed in our Thursday, early Thursday morning prayer meeting this week so powerfully. Is I saw a tree growing up in the middle of us, and the branches covering all of us, and this is a tree of God's mercy. This is a tree of God's mercy. And that the call on this fellowship is to be a tree of God's mercy. Now what that means is what happens under these these branches is pretty messy. It's pretty ugly. This is not the pretty people church. There are some incredible churches in our community who are doing wonderful things and they're doing what they're called to do in the ways they're called to do it. I have confidence in that. But we are called to be to be that place 
where anyone can come. The scandal of the scandal of God's mercy. Jesus was so scandalous about this, wasn't he? I mean, who did he call? Pharisees? The religious people? He called fishermen and tax collectors. What about this woman caught in the act of adultery? Caught! Caught in the act of adultery. Brought to Jesus. Jesus, the law of Moses commands that she be stoned. What do you say? So I, I agree. I agree that her sin has put her in a predicament where she should be stoned. Now what we need here is we need somebody, anybody, who doesn't need the grace of God as much as she does to throw the first stone. You see, when we're under the tree together, we're all the same. We can't look over at each other's sin and go, well, at least I'm not them. Oh, you should wish to be them, if that's what your attitude is. What about the thief on the cross? That isn't fair. These disciples who followed Jesus hard for three years and then the cross, this thief in his last seconds of his life seems to repent and turn toward Christ. And what does Jesus say to him? What does he 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 say to him? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. He gets there before the disciples. That's not fair. That's scandalous kind of mercy, isn't it? What about Jesus talking about this vineyard and this guy hires these people at different times of day, some at nine, some at noon, some at three, some at six, right? And then at the end of the day, everybody comes to get paid. What does he pay them? The same. That ain't right. You would not sit still for that. This is the scandal of God's mercy. This is the scandal of God's mercy. You are not outside the reach of God's mercy. And I want to tell you something. I think this place over the last several years has gotten entirely too clean and tidy. Do you know we're in the middle of a heroin epidemic in our community? Where are the addicts? Why are they not here? Why are they not by now home group leaders and elders? Why are they not here? Why are we not bringing our addicted friends to church? It's just all too nice. I'm a little frustrated. I'm just remembering what it is that we're called to do. This is a scandalous, scandalous message. The gospel. Which one of these gospels seems right to you? Let me, let's look at one. Jesus saying, I will be your savior and make a, good pl- make a place for you in heaven if you promise to be good from now on. Is that the gospel? That it's like a second chance? You know, I'm going to save you, but don't screw it up again. I died for you once for all. We probably got Bible to support it, right? What's the problem with that view of the gospel? Yeah, you're going to screw it up. Is there anybody here, is there anybody here who since you have come to know Jesus Christ has not yet sinned? I got a senior pastor job for you. 
Maybe this is the gospel. I will be your savior and make a place for you in heaven if you promise to try, or at least pretend to try to be good from now on. Is that the gospel? I'm not saying that there's not a life to be lived, but it is not tied to our salvation. What? Scandalous. What about this? I will be your savior and make a place for you in heaven because you do not have the capacity to consistently be good. Allow me to do that for you. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do I want to live a righteous life? Absolutely, but it's because of number three. It's mercy. It's this mercy tree. That's what this place is meant to be. It's meant to be a mercy tree. We can't look around. We can't exclude anybody. We can't look around and compare ourselves to others. I mean, I'm glad that many of you are walking the good walk. I'm I'm praising God for you. But you were a train wreck when you came here. Don't forget that. We're meant to be a mercy tree. 